welcome to the Naffy Break podcast, where we shine a light on the transition process from the military into a successful second career. Each episode, we introduce you to some above average Joes who've taken their experience and their time in the military and use it to forge a successful second career. One of the biggest challenges for service leavers is to find a new passion and purpose in their time after leaving the service. Success is relative and everyone measures their success in different ways. But for some, it's that feeling of giving back to the service that they gained so much from. Today, I want to introduce you to Mark Lane. Mark Lane is an ex-physical training instructor from the Royal Air Force. And by surprise, he found a new purpose and a home for his passion in the charity sector after leaving. You're going to hear his story. Hopefully, it's another great insight and understanding of what our service leavers can offer. Well, I'd like to welcome listeners to the pod, and I'd like to introduce you today to Mark Lane. Mark, hello. Sully, good morning, and uh, thank you for inviting me. No, an absolute pleasure. Mark, as you know, we've um, we've been trying to shine a light on uh, on veterans from all services, and obviously through the, you know through finishing their career and what they do next, and some of the great work that's going on out there. So I'm, I'm delighted you've given up the time for us today. Um, Let's kind of introduce a little bit of your background, if we could, to the to the pod listeners today. Um, you obviously, you're ex Air Force physical training instructor, the same as me. So obviously, uh, you know, I kind of I have a great network of uh, of people out there that I've come across and have uh, been alongside you in a service uh, service career. But if you can kick us off, just tell us what what was your kind of um, trigger, if you like, or inspiration for joining the Air Force as a PTI back in the day and when exactly that was? Um, well, I joined on the 28th of November, 1978. And the trigger was, I actually wanted to join the Navy because uh, my oh, dad... Careful, Mark. I don't want to be upsetting anyone before no, we no, get going. Because no. <laughs> um, my dad was in the Navy and he did 21 years before in being disabled out. Um but he said, well, you can't join straight as a PTI because all I wanted to do was something to do with sport and, you know, physical activity. And it just so happened that an ex-RF PTI came to my school and took over the running of the swimming pool. And it was a flight sergeant, Pete Downing. And uh, his nickname was Punchy. Uh, apparently, he did a fair bit of boxing. But what was really bizarre was he was the Devizes Westminster canoeing partner for Warrant Officer Don Cobley, who happened to end up being my first Warrant Officer on my first tour. Wow. They always say sort of seven degrees of separation because you'd always connected to somebody. But for listeners of the pod who kind of aren't aware, you talked there about going direct in the Air Force as a PTI, and that was the uniqueness about Air Force PTIs. It was, did your basic training and you straight onto your PTI course, whereas the Navy and the Army, you had to do time served in kind of general service first and then apply, so there was no guarantee. That's that's That was the case in those days, yeah? Yeah, no, it was. Um, you know, I definitely didn't want to join the Army, and you know, having a risk of doing something I didn't really want to do in the Navy with the hope of becoming a PTI. 
that didn't appeal to me. And then after spending some time talking to Pete Downing, uh, you know, a phone call was made to Portsmouth Careers Information Office, who said, have you got a degree? And I said, I only want to be a PTI. No, you need a degree. <laughs> so I then, I then phoned Brighton, because I was lucky I lived in between Portsmouth and Brighton. And Brighton said, can you swim 50 yards? And at that stage, I was swimming for the county. Um, so I said, yes. So I said, right, can you be here Friday? And this was like on a Tuesday. So I said, yeah, okay. So I went for the interview, went up there on the Friday. They said, right, can you be or can you go to RF Cosford Monday morning? So, yeah. So I arrived at Cosford Monday, left there on the Wednesday and found out on the Thursday I was joining up four months later. So obviously, great, you get into the job that you really had kind of earmarked. I thought there was a little bit of a, a, a kind of wind-up coming then when you said the careers office asked if you could swim 50 yards. And if you'd have answered yes, that it said, well, swim across the Gosport and sign up over there for the Navy. <laughs> but obviously it wasn't coming that way. That's just my head doing uh, overtime. So you go in as a PTI. Where did that take? What were the significant things during that, that career? Um, that you kind of look back on and go, you know, that was a great time. That was a great job. Where did it take you? Um, well, the first, first tour was at RAF Holton. Um, back then, it was a lot bigger than it is now. Um, it was phase two training for a lot of technical trades. There was the RAF Holton Hospital there. Um, yeah, and I finished my PTI course having written loads and loads of lesson plans turned up at Holton only for them to, to be doing a, a study on times and everything else. And for the next six months, I was back to writing lesson plans again. So, so what, I mean, I, I served at Holton as well. So I kind of, you know, recognize some of the things you're saying there about the size of the camp, etc. real busy training unit. How, how did you feel when you first got to that, that posting as a PTI? Was that, you know, a lot of responsibility? How, how did you perceive yourself around about that time early in your career? It, it was a lot of responsibility. Um, they, there was five of us that went from our PTI course uh, to Holton, and they kind of paired us up with one of the senior guys because uh, they uh, had an influx of PTIs put in because of the study and uh, and it was it was really good because the older guys, you know, took you under their wing, gave you the do's and don'ts. So whilst you had the responsibility, there's nobody assessing you while you're out and about. There was always somebody there that, um, you know, would point you in the right or nudge you in the right direction. So if you, if you think back at that stage of your career and in terms of developing people, you know, I'm, I can remember back to the, to the 80s. It did seem to be very much a kind of mentoring, you know, whether it was unofficial or whatever, but it was learned from the people that have gone before. They've got the experience during your time in the service. Did you did you notice a shift or a change in that kind of approach to to development? Uh, yeah, it. It was, but like you said, it was, you know, it wasn't uh, official. It was, you know, just working with the people, learning from them, um, you know, the mistakes that you made. You know, it, it was 
it was personal development because if you made a mistake, you definitely didn't make it again. Um, oh, always learn from them. Yeah, yeah. So first saw Holton, quite quite an you know quite a varied role that is. I, I know from my own experience, lots of lots of you know teaching and interacting with the with, with the trainees, etc. As your career went on, what was the what's kind of the best posting you had or the best role that you had you felt during your time in the service that you got most out of? I would think that maybe going to Afghanistan. Uh, I was out there for four months as an acting warrant officer. So the pinnacle of our branch as a warrant officer in an operational zone, I suppose. And that's quite different because I remember back to my time where, you know, in terms of conflict and war zones, PTIs weren't really involved in that. I think when I first joined, you, you know, wartime role was classed as a stretcher bearer. But I know, you know, as times have gone on, the service utilizes PTIs in, in much different ways now than it did probably at the time you joined. So, you know, that sounds like quite an experience that a lot of people, a lot of PTIs certainly wouldn't have experienced in the past. It was very eye opening. And, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I was given before I went, you know, having never done a warrant officer's job, I said, what do I do? And this other warrant officer said, don't try and do anything that you wouldn't do yourself. He said, basically, he said, just be yourself. Don't try and don't try and portray the image of what you think a warrant officer is. He said, just be yourself. I think that's that's probably valid for for anybody that gets in their first senior roles. But that's that, that sounds like a great piece of advice at that point. So, Mark, tell me, I know you did a lot of time in in parachuting uh, as a parachute instructor during your time in the service, um, and and I'm aware that that led to a role uh, in combat survival. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that role because that's again that's not a a usual thing uh, that that most PTIs will have experienced. But how how did you get into that? Uh, basically, uh, I come out on the promotion board, um, but I was one off, you know, they only wanted, I think it was eight and I was ninth on the board. And then, uh, somebody that was on my PTI course who was at the, uh, survival school, um, decided to leave. So there was this open opportunity there. So uh, I applied for it and luckily I got it. So, uh, but that was good. Once again, you know, in all the roles, a lot of people have said that the survival school, you know, is great. And it is because of the people you're working with, you're working with fast jet pilots, you're working with helicopter pilots, you, you know, pilots from across all three services, you know, so it's such a diverse you know, type of personality that you're working with. And purely by, you know, even by description, combat survival school, you know, the skills you're teaching these guys, you know, the fast jet pilots, if they do eject or, you know, they do come down hostile territory, etc. Yeah. We're talking life-saving stuff here. Yes. And to me, to me, I always work on the premise that, you know, if you get the basics right, everything else will slot, slot in on top. Um, you know, with the fast jet pilots, we always say, you know, if you can, if you have to eject, eject over water um, because it's going to be safer for you. 
Um, you know, anywhere that if you're down on the ground, you know, just make sure that you leave as little trace of you as possible. You know, once you've left the aircraft, you know, they're all given certain things that they have to do, you know, once the aircraft is down and, uh, you know, they need to do that stuff and then get away from the aircraft. So Combat Survival School down at St. Morgan, beautiful part of the world, down uh, down south there in, uh, in Cornwall. What was your thought process around the transition for coming out and preparing yourself for leaving the service? Because by the time you left, am I right? You were kind of 30 plus years at time served. Yeah, my biggest mistake was not preparing early enough. And by the time it come round to time for me to leave, I'd actually done very little. Why do you think, you know, sort of personally that you missed that kind of almost trigger point to say now's the time to start planning? What what was it? Would you just, you know, kind of too engrossed in the job you were doing or circumstances? What, what Why do you think you you did leave it late or didn't do so much in, in advance? You know, I was enjoying it that much. And it's always, oh, you know, I'll put it off. I'll put it off. I'll put it off. I'll, you know, I'm doing this at the moment. I'm doing that. You know, I'm still traveling around with the job and playing sport, you know, and then all of a sudden time goes a lot quicker than you think. You, I mean, you're now coming up towards the end. How far before the actual, you know, last day in the service, did you do anything about prepping for coming out? You know, how close to that final point did you, did you actually do something? Yeah, it was about a year and I did the three day career transition partnership, um, whilst they talked about interview skills, what jobs you can go for. Um, basically, we were told, everybody in the room were told, you, you know, you could earn 60, 70,000 a year, no problem. Well, that just depends on where you're going to live, what job you're going to do, and actually do those people want you to do that job. It's all well and yeah. good, you know, giving people that information. Well, that's great, but are those sort of jobs around for those that are leaving towards the end of their career? Yeah. And I, you know, if we've just gone through a year of lockdown now, so when you say, you know, it's a year out that you'd started prepping, I mean, there'll be people sitting there now thinking, crikey, we've just spent a year, you know, working from home, et cetera. And that's, that's gone pretty quick. So it isn't a long time as much as you, you know, previously we might've thought that. And the other thing that's interesting you've said there is that the expectation that was given to you, was you know this this is this is what you could earn and as you rightly said but I wasn't planning on working in central London or I wasn't you know wasn't going to be chasing a certain type of job so you were you were in Cornwall at a time was that the plan I was going to stay in this area and and you know I need to start looking at what's available in and around where I am now is that is that how it worked out yeah it is um my wife's from Cornwall um it's a lovely part of the world you know you you're not more than sort of 20 minutes from a beach wherever you live in Cornwall you know you, whether you go north or south you know what better pay, place to you know bring up your family and and live and enjoy you know the area around you 
Because as much as 37 years in the Air Force has taken you to some great places and you've been around the country and, and probably in that time worked out where you don't want to sell <laughs> as much yeah. as where, where you do, how much is, does it become more or how, how much more of a priority is it to make sure that the family and, and kind of family life is you know, settled in a place which benefits them and you get that quality of life as well? Does that, did that go up the, the kind of the ladder of priorities for you? Yeah, my wife has followed me around the Air Force, although it was Bryce Holton, Bryce Holton, St. Morgan. You know, she she's moved as well and had to uh, move the houses and everything else. So, you know, to find somewhere, you know, where you want to settle that is nice and that, you know, the family's going to be happy, at, I think, is uh, is very important. Yeah, because you almost think for all the long service and good conduct medals that you've probably amassed, they probably should have given one to our partners and spouses for doing all that, following around and relocating the kids and everything else at the same time. So there's almost the time for her now to to, to get in a place and being from Cornwall as well. I, I imagine that's a that's a great return home for her as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we talk about, you know, what's potentially there and the expectations of what jobs what appealed to you when you were coming out? What were you looking at doing when you finished? Because as you said, you've had a lifetime involved and around activity and sport through the Air Force. And I know you're a, a very accomplished uh, tennis player in your day as well. What, what were you thinking about life after service in terms of, you know, I want to do something that, that I enjoy or it excites me? Where was your gaze taken? To be honest, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And... You know, people said, oh, you can be a tennis coach. You've played lots of tennis. You've got your coaching qualifications. Well, that's great if you're at a club that's got an indoor court. Now, there's only one club like that in the whole of Cornwall, and that's in Newquay. I was offered the job uh, as a club coach, but if I'd have taken it for the first three months of the year, I wouldn't have earned any money because of the wind and the rain and everything else. Uh, so I applied for a few other jobs working with the army cadets. Um, and then out of the blue, I got an email from actually from career transition partnership saying uh, there's a job uh, with a company called active plus as a veterans partnership manager, uh, went along to see them and then went back for the interview. This is this is an area I really want us to kind of focus on here because it, it came as a bit of a surprise to me. And I picked up on this through through LinkedIn and seen a, a post from yourself on there. So Active Plus, tell us a little bit more about that company and what their kind of uh, mission is and what what they do. First of all, Active Plus was actually it's our 10th anniversary this year and it was set up working with people that are over the age of 50 that are lonely, vulnerable, isolated, you know, in Cornish villages. And uh, the guy who set it up did three years in the army and then left um, and then did work for the fire service. And then he left the fire service and set up Active Plus. And he used uh, a couple of guys that were ex-military as the instructors. And the whole idea was to to give something back to the community, help them build up their confidence so they can stand and talk over the garden fence um, and just to have a bit more confidence about them in the way they live. And it's progressed from that now. 
And the project that I'm working on is called Who Dares Works. Um, but as part of the Active Plus delivery team, it's working with people over the age of 18 that are unemployed. And the whole idea is to get them moving forward in their lives, uh, either into training, education, and you know the golden nugget is getting them back into employment. So let's, let's just circle back for a second there, because you mentioned initially that Active Plus was aimed at the over 50s and we talked there about isolation about kind of feeling vulnerable etc and, and i'd imagine that you know for someone leaving the service they've done 20 plus years you know they've done a long time their life has been based around the service around camp and things like that and suddenly they leave they maybe go back to their hometown but of course everyone else might have moved out of that they, the, the friends the connections they had aren't necessarily there so I can imagine that can be quite a, an isolating experience for some people, particularly if they don't have family to, to move with them. So the kind of people that, that the, the Active Plus was targeting at that point to try and work with, maybe not necessarily the kind of people that you would expect. They might just be ordinary people who, who just lost touch with, with things that, that, that were normal in their life and stable in their life. Do, do you see that through the charity? Is it, it's not always the, you know, people who've had, you know, health issues or whatever. The reason that uh, Tim Cox, who set up Active Plus, uh, he, the reason he started using veterans, military veterans as instructors, is because they've seen a lot, done a lot, and had a lot of experience. And, you know, we've actually uh, got two guys working part-time with us now who did the course that we run, the uh, confidence uh, communication course that we run, building people up. They then volunteered with Active Plus, and when jobs became available, um, they became part-time instructors. And both of them, one was he'd moved down to Cornwall. Uh, his life fell apart. Basically, he was told to go on this course by the job so, centre, uh, which he thought, well, I'm not being told what, you know, and he turned <laughs> up. And halfway through the course, he realised he wanted to do what we were doing, you know, helping yeah. people. And the whole idea is that you've got veterans, so ex-military, inspiring other people to move forward in their lives. Yeah, and it sounds like that that whole kind of development pathway from being almost attending the course to then becoming an instructor you know that organic growth for the for active plus for the organization means that that's quite easy to almost pass on that ethos and then that approach that mentality that, that the charity wants to put across and i'd imagine you're looking at the 18 plus group that you're dealing with now and likening that in some ways to recruits and to trainees that you probably dealt with you know right back at your start of your career at Holton what what challenges are you do you feel that the veterans are helping these 18 year olds with showing them that they are capable of doing things and and that's what when we do activities activities are all achievable but and the processes if even if they fail to achieve the solution for the activity it's about the process that they use about taking small steps they know what they need to do but how do they go about doing it and it's taking those steps to um 
relay that to to life situations about what it is they've got going on in their lives. Yeah, and we've we we work with people that uh, are on license. You know, just recently out of prison, uh, people that uh, have learning difficulties. Um, some big time company directors who the companies have fallen apart. They've you know backed down the job centre and they've lost that self confidence, that self esteem, and it, it's about helping them you know, on their way again. Yeah, and I was talking to, and I've talked several podcasts recently, and one of the, the things that comes out from that is, is organisations that care for their people actually try and develop the person, actually give them back their confidence, you know, some, some ownership over their situation, and that makes them better employees, that makes them better people to go into other organisations, but actually working on the person is is the real focus so you know can you let us know some of the kind of successes or some of the pathways you've seen people take from the courses that you've run you know how how far does it take them um you know one that springs to mind there's a, a lad who in his late teens ended up uh, getting a prison record coming out nobody wanted to help him and then he came on the course and he liked what we did. So uh, at one stage, we were running a peer mentor scheme you know, as part of the project. And uh, he applied for that role. He got it. He did very well. He set up the community club in his local area for people that are on the project. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to leave. Well, why is that? He said, I want to go back to university. I want to go and get a qualification where I can come back and I can help people in the way that you guys, you know, differently, but still helping people. And now he's um, working as a company and he is now in charge of the volunteers working on a totally different project, uh, doing the same thing, helping people. I mean, that's a fantastic example that you've given us there. And I suppose there's, there's two sides here to my my kind of in, in, inquiry, I suppose, about this whole active plus setup. It also sounds to me like there's a development of the staff as well. So not just the people who are on the course, but the people delivering the course, because you, you've been able to bring the skills and experience and that knowledge that you've amassed during your service career. And actually, there are people that you can help. And that you can give back in, in a way. If you, how, how has it affected you being, if you like, a deliverer on, on these uh, these courses? You know, we always say, by helping others, you help yourselves. Now, there's a few of uh, the ex-military guys who work for Active Plus uh, have got PTSD for various reasons. You know, and we all get so much out of it when we're running a course and we see these people achieve uh, what it is they want to do. So to, uh, when you were considering leaving the service, I mean, obviously you're in a situation now where that, you know, you're really helping other people and, and there's a degree of giving back because you're working with some veterans, but did you see the charity sector as a potential place for, for working post service or is, you know, obviously you came across the, the active plus, but when you're in the service, is it, did it kind of come to mind at that point? 
no, not really. I didn't even think about it that actually there are, you know, jobs within within that sector. I, uh, it's an interesting one for me because I think during my time in the service, the the recognition of service charities, we knew about British Legion, we knew about SAFA, etc. Those kind of you know the, the the big ones. I think in more recent years, and I'm going to credit a little bit here to someone like Help for Heroes, which has raised the profile of service charities a lot for for everybody really but i still i still see a bit of a gap where maybe servicemen working in the service sector specifically for military charities almost seems like there's not enough awareness or they're not aware of the possibilities and the potential that's out there do you think do you think that's fair do you think that we need to do more about raising that um that profile yes i do you know it's you know, all you get told is there's this charity or that charity. They they don't say that actually you may be able to get a job working with that charity. So we're kind of looking back on the transition process for you personally. And obviously, as you said, you know, one year out is when you started. How far out do you think you should have done something? Or would you, you know, given the choice, would you say, well, time again, I would start this far out? I didn't have any plans. It was, right, I want to stay in. I want to do this job. Yeah, and keep going. And then um, it was, well, I'm on my last tour now. What am I going to do? So um, I, I would say at least five years out, you know, from when, from when you're going to thinking of leaving, you know, just start looking at what there is in the job market. My, my, my thing was if the right job come along, I will leave the Air Force and go and do it. But the problem was I wasn't actually looking for another job because I enjoyed what I was doing. Yeah, sure. And I'd imagine that's, that's you know, a lot of people will fall into that category where it's great, I'm loving it. And almost to start looking is is almost an admission that you're not, maybe not happy with what you are doing at the time, which actually is, is the opposite. You are, but it's not going to last forever. Yeah. And, and there, there needs to be that plan down the line. Um, Mark, if you could pass on one... Uh, one bit of advice to, and I'm going to say specifically here to a kind of someone joining the service actually, and you had a you know a fantastic career, you know, long time spent in the service as well. But if one of your your students on your your course was considering the service, what would you say to them about a service career and what it did for you? Go join the services, get some experience, and bring that experience out with you but continue to learn all the time. You know, keep your eyes and ears open you know, and see what opportunities there are for you. So now we're at kind of where we are now, we're working with Active Plus. I mean, what, what's that job doing for you now? I mean, it sounds, when you describe it, it sounds like a, a really rewarding uh, kind of role and seeing the development in others. Maybe not something you thought you were going to get involved in, but now that you're in it, you know, you know, what's your what's your take now on your transition process and where it's taken you? As well as giving to uh, the people that come on our courses, if we have any new instructors that come along, generally I get called upon to to train them in how we deliver our courses and how we deliver our activities. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want it to stop, but like anything, it's the projects are funded 
Um, so hopefully that Active Plus will um, continue to get funding for projects and so I'll have a job. Mark, it's, it's been fascinating talking about the, the charity sector specifically with you and what you're doing. And I kind of think, go back to what you said right at the beginning, when you arrived on your first posting, you were attached to a senior kind of instructor and learned from them and they mentored. Now we kind of fast forward to where we are now and, and you are that senior person. You're now mentoring those other veterans that are coming out of the service in how to be the instructor with Active Plus. I think that's that's quite a, that's quite a nice way for us to... To, to round it up there. Mark, I really appreciate you giving up the time and, and coming on the pod to talk about your, your transition and what you're doing now. I think what Active Plus is doing, veterans helping veterans is, is superb. And obviously the wider projects that you're involved in as well, helping the, helping the youth of the day move forward. Um, but Mark, I just want to thank you for your time. Thanks obviously for your 37 years of service as well. And um, I hope you continue to enjoy the role that you've got. No. Sully, thanks for this opportunity. Um, it's always good to talk to uh, to the fellow brethren staff. Um, you know, if there's anything else that I can do, or you know, even talk to people, then you know, please give us a shout. And uh, Active Plus are always up for getting our name out and about. I love that after almost four decades of serving in the military and all that experience that's been gained by Mark. He's able to help other people who are at the start of their career or maybe are trying to put their life back on track. You know, for those of you leaving the service who are thinking, you know, what can I do with all this experience I've got? Maybe the charity sector is the place to look. Uh, I was really grateful to Mark for sharing that insight and the fantastic work that Active Plus are doing uh, down there in the southwest. Come back to us next week for another great guest. Subscribe to the pod. Leave us some feedback if you can and spread the word amongst your friends and fellow veterans.